The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. What's happening here in Acts 26 is Paul is getting ready for the end, basically. He's getting ready um, to, to, to come to the end of his life, and he requests to go see Caesar. Uh, as a Roman citizen, he had that right to be able to say, I want to I take my case before Caesar. And uh, those who saw him said he would have been okay had he not requested to go. He, he'd have been a free man if he would not requested to go, Caesar, to go see Caesar. But the reason he wanted to see Caesar was not to defend himself, was not to, um, to get himself off the hook. It was to testify. It was to give a testimony. It was to be a witness for Christ. And so he thought, I have an opportunity to see the emperor of our land at the time. Uh, the Roman Empire was very vast at the time, and he had an opportunity to see the, stand before the emperor and share the gospel with him. Uh, if we had that opportunity, that we could, um, if we got in trouble for sharing the gospel and say, yeah, I want to see the president, uh, and, and we had the opportunity to show that would be pretty awesome. And that's really essentially what he was doing. And so he was testifying. He was a witness We've all seen it, maybe in a TV show, or maybe you've been in a, in a courtroom, or hopefully, or maybe you've been, had to, been called to the witness stand before. Um, we've seen that before, where they, they, they bring him there, um, call him to the stand, and place their left hand in the Bible, put their right hand in the air. Uh, this morning, as I was, uh, the, today as I was putting this, um, doing some study on this, I watched the Three Stooges, uh, Curly gets called to the stand, if you've ever seen that. Uh, very funny. If, if you've never seen it, you've got you've to watch it. Pretty pretty comical. Uh, but they call him to the stand, put his left hand in the Bible, put your right hand up, and uh, do, do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. And why was it important that a witness tells the truth? Well, it's, it's important so that those hearing the testimony can make a right decision. Those in the jury, when in a criminal case, um, the, the witness, somebody who saw what happened, it's important they tell exactly what happened so that the jury can say, okay, here's the decision we're going to make. And as Paul is giving testimony, He's telling the truth, he's telling what he's experienced, so those hearing can make a decision for Christ. And that's our job, uh, Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, you shall be witnesses of me. Uh, and it's our job to be a witness. We're called to the stand often. Uh, we're put in opportunities where we're able to give the gospel, and we need to tell the truth. Not be ashamed of it, not be afraid of it. Um, why is it that people often refuse to testify, or will not testify? They're in, in, in your uh, handout, a couple reasons why people refuse to testify. Um, and here's a couple, and then we'll, we'll get into the text. Uh, one reason, maybe they're embarrassed. Now, when a witness sees a crime take place, and they're called to the stand, the uh, opposition, the, the opposing uh, lawyers will drill into them. Well, why were you at that place? Why were you? And I can imagine somebody, an upstanding businessman who is in a not very upstanding place and sees a crime take place, he'd be a little, I, I don't really want to test, I don't want my wife to know about that. I don't want people to find out I was there. I don't want people to know about that part of my life. And that sometimes they'll let somebody walk for a crime that was committed because they're embarrassed of something in their life. Now, obviously we have nothing to be embarrassed of as Christians, but with that same thought, sometimes people won't testify to the Lord because they're embarrassed that people will see their frauds. See that, oh, a family member, you're telling me about the Lord and I know how you live. I've seen you the way you are. And sometimes we're hesitant to testify because people know who we really are. And if we line up with God's word, they'll say, well, your life doesn't match it. And we're a little embarrassed of that. And I hope that's not the case. Uh, and, and sometimes we'd be, uh, some people are more, I've been there before too, uh, where I'm, I'm more likely to not share the gospel and let somebody die and go to hell than 
be embarrassed because maybe life doesn't match up. So we need to take care of that area in our life if that's the case. Say, I'm going to match what God's word says so that when I speak God's word, someone can say, hey, I can see there's a change in your life. I can see you're different. Uh, We don't have to be embarrassed. Another reason is fear. Fear. They they, They won't testify in a case because of fear. In gang or mob-related cases, uh, the, there will be somebody that's called, somebody saw something happen, and it was in a gang or it was in a mob or something like that, and they say, I, I don't want to say anything because I know they'll come after me. Because if they find out I testified against them, they've got people that will come after me and hurt me or my family. Now, I'm not sure what I would do if I was in that position uh, in, in a case like that. If I saw a crime happen and I got a threatening letter saying, if you testify, we're going to get your wife, we're going to get your kids, we're going to get you. I'd be, I'd be a little hesitant to testify as well. Um, but with that same thought in mind, oftentimes we're hesitant to share the gospel because we're afraid of what people are going to say to us. We're afraid of what people will do to us. We're afraid of the, the ridicule. We're afraid we may lose a relationship. Afraid we may lose a job promotion as a result of whatever the case may be. And again, we'd rather let somebody um, walk. We'd rather let somebody walk towards hell than face whatever fear. And sometimes there is not even any fear. Sometimes what we do is we, we decide for people, they'll never listen to the gospel. Uh, you see somebody maybe rough, or, you see some, or, or a family member, they, they, they won't listen. And you're, you're making the decision for them. No, it's our job to witness. It's our job to testify. It's our job to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us God. And it's, their, and it's their job to make the decision. It's their job to say, you know, he's right. Jesus has done something great in his life. God's word's true. I'm going to accept Christ myself. My question for you is, do you have a testimony? If you were called to the witness stand for Christ, would you have anything to say? Or would you say, I didn't see anything? Um, Maybe I was there. Great, Siri. Um, Say, I I don't know what happened. Uh, Nothing happened to me. And if you're called to witness for Christ and you say, I'm not sure I'm a Christian, then then you need to get that settled so that you can be a witness for him. One, also so you can be his child, so you can be on your way to heaven as well. Uh, But... And, and with the, the, the title of my message tonight, uh, The Testimony of a True Christian. Now, um, what I mean by that is not, I have a testimony, I've been saved. But, but beyond that, Paul was a true Christian. The, 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 the literal definition for Christian is little, little Christ, or like Christ, or a follower of Christ. Now, there are a lot of people who are saved who, biblically speaking, you wouldn't say that they're a Christian. They don't live like Christ. Now, in, in our church vernacular, if you will, we say, are you a Christian? Yeah, I got saved, so-and-so. I, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, but I'm, I'm, t- I'm saying further than just saying I'm saved. A true Christian, a true follower. If any man would be my disciple, let him, let him um, take up my cross, deny himself, follow me, then he can be my disciple. That's a true Christian. Now, the world, the, the definition for Christian would just be somebody celebrates Christmas, somebody goes to church, that's a Christian. And that's very, very broad, and that is definitely not a good definition of Christian, for sure. But I hope you're a Christian in the sense that you're saved, but I hope you're a true, devoted follower of Christ like Paul was. And we're going to look at that in his life. So in, in Acts 26, look at verse 1. Then Agrippa, there's a king there, said to Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. So, so, so Agrippa said to Paul, Now's your chance to speak. There's been some trouble going on, and, and we want to know what's, what, what, what's causing all this trouble. And he's, he has an opportunity to share the gospel. Then Paul stretched forth his hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer. For I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I, I am accused of the Jews. So the Jews were accusing him of stirring up trouble when really all he was doing was preaching the gospel. Now for them that was trouble because it threatened their religion. It threatened their culture. 
but it was the truth, and he was, and he was unashamed to preach it. And so he said, I'm going to answer for myself, uh, especially because I know thee to be expert in all customs and questions uh, which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, known all the Jews, uh, know, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of, the, uh, of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, which in, unto which promise our twelve tribes instantly serving God day and night hope to come. For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Why should it be thought a thing incredible unto you that God should raise the dead? Now, verse 9 is where he begins his testimony and, and what God's done for him. I verily thought myself I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Which thing also I did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, which having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being accordingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Whereupon, as I went to Damascus, uh, with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven, above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me, and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to get the, prick against, the kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And so here he, he gives his testimony. Number one in, in your outline there, he's a changed man. Here was, here was what he was testifying to Agrippa and to all the people hearing there. He said, King Agrippa, God changed me. You saw what he said before. He said, I thought to do much harm to the church. I persecuted them. And when they put them to death, I, I spoke my voice against them. He said, I, I tried to do everything I could contrary to the name of Christ, but then he appeared to me. And so he was someone who was persecuting the church, and 180 degrees, he's now, you, you see throughout his epistles, he says, I am a servant, I am a slave of Christ. I am his, I am an apostle, I serve him with my life before I sought to uh, persecute him, before I sought to kill his followers, and now I'm one of them. He's a changed man. And that's, what the, that's the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel can change us. The power of the gospel uh, changes lives. It has the power to make the drunk and the drug addict sober and, and clean. It has the power to mend a broken heart, to restore a broken family, to change a person's direction. And that's exactly what God did for Paul. Change the direction of his life. And he said, on that day, I'm out that road to Damascus, I, I remember it. Uh, I, I was traveling, God appeared to me, he said this to me, Paul, you're wrong, I'm right. And Paul agreed with God, and that's what salvation is. Salvation is God saying, Naji, you're a sinner and you're wrong. And Naji saying, God, you're right, please forgive me. That's salvation, repentance. Repentance is recognizing that I'm wrong. And Paul recognized he was wrong and said, Lord, what would that have me to do? And God changed him that day. God saved him that day. That was his testimony. What's your testimony? For me, it was January 22nd, 1997. I was eight years old. Um, now, I wasn't a drug addict. I, wasn't, I, I didn't have any major problems, except for one major problem, sin, that we all have. And so I was a sinner headed for hell just like everybody else. And one of the things I listed there was it has the power to change the direction of your life, and God did that for me. And God was able to save me from some of the things that maybe some of you have experienced uh, before you met Christ. But I met him there on my road to Damascus, if you will, at eight years old. Changed the direction of my life. And I've never been the same. And I'm, I'm so thankful for that. What's your testimony? 
Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, by your fruits you shall know them. Uh, there, there ought to be evidence in your life that you're saved. The Bible, uh, Paul, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When Jesus saves somebody, they're a changed man. When Jesus saves somebody, a change, changed woman. Uh, when Jesus saves a child, changed child, the Lord should change you. The Lord, if you've been saved, has changed you. Has the Lord changed you? So first of all, he said he was a changed man. Look at verses 16 through 18. He said, uh, so he, he said to Jesus, what would thou have me to do? Uh, or he said, but, but rise, stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things which I shall uh, appear unto thee. Verse 17, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto, now, unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes, to turn from the darkness uh, to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may see, receive forgiveness of sins. He was not only a changed man, but he was an empowered man. He was an empowered man. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses of me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. He said, you'll receive power. And right there that day, the Lord empowered him. He gave him a great task. He said, I'm sending you to share the gospel with the Gentiles. I'm, I'm sending you to share the gospel with all the nations. That was his purpose. He said, for this purpose, for this reason, he saved him. And that's the same reason he saved us. He saved us. He, he could have saved us and taken us right to heaven, but he didn't. He saved us so that we could share the gospel. He saved us so we could stay here and spread his word, spread uh, the gospel. It's a great task that we've been given. Um, thankfully, we're not asked to do it in our own strength. He's given us power. He's given us the Holy Spirit. The problem is sometimes we try, some of us have been there, I've been there before. I've been saved now for, um, my math brain is not working right now, um, 97, that's uh, just 19, 19 years this year. Um, and so it's easy for me to say, I've been saved 19 years, I've been going to church since I was 8 years old, uh, I, I, I can do it on my own. We can't. I can't do it on my own. None of us can do it. I don't care if you've been saved 50 years. You can't do it on your own. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul even recognized that he needed God's power. All of us, I'm sure, would recognize Paul uh, as we, we, we often recognize him as the greatest Christian who ever lived. Why was he such a great Christian? Because of the power of God. Not because he was great, uh, but because God was great and he empowered him. So he was a changed man. He was an empowered man. Uh, look at verse 19. He said to King Agrippa, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. He was an obedient man. He was an obedient man. So here's where it starts to change from I'm just a Christian, I've been saved, to I'm a true Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. Uh, someone who's just been saved and doesn't live in the power of the Holy Ghost, man, they're, they're missing out on a lot. Uh, someone who's just, just saved and that's it, not done anything else, they're not obedient. They're, they're not being obedient to Christ, but he was an obedient man. Uh, he showed first unto them in Damascus, and if, if you go back to in the book of Acts, <coughs> where Paul does get saved right away, he goes there to Damascus and begins to testify, and begins to witness what God did for him. And if you could imagine, the disciples at the time were, were pretty scared. Um, I, I've, I've talked about this with our teens. Um, imagine um, several years ago, Osama bin Laden coming over to the United States, coming into our church and saying, hey, I got saved. Could I give a testimony? We'd be like, whoa, uh, where's, where's Homeland Security? We'd be a little nervous, for sure, knowing what his history was, knowing what he's done to us. Those disciples said, this is the guy who 
They killed my mom. They killed my, he killed my, 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 my wife's in prison now because of him, and now he's saying he's changed, that God saved him. And they doubted, and I'm sure, and, and some of us, well, the disciples shouldn't have doubted. We probably would have done the same thing. Uh, if, if someone like Paul would have come in and said, hey, can I tell you what Jesus, like, Jesus, aren't you, is, aren't you persecuting him? Uh, but he definitely was changed, and he was obedient even when it wasn't easy. Uh, it wasn't very easy for him to obey Jesus right there. It wasn't very easy for him to obey God's word, but he did it. And if all of us were to just get busy doing what God told us to do, share the gospel, man, our church would be so much different. Our area would be so much different. Our culture would be so much different. Not just our church, but if all the Bible-believing, saved, born-again Christians around the country and around the world would just do what God said. If I would just do more of what, obey God more uh, and do what he said, man, I'd be able to make such, much, much a bigger difference than I am now. And again, not because of me, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit and because of obedience to him. So he was an obedient man. Uh, we've been given... A heavenly vision, right here, God's word. It's our heavenly vision that's been given to us. We need to share it. So he was, he was a changed man. He was an empowered man, an obedient man. Uh, look at verse 21. Verse number 21, for these causes, the Jews uh, caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Uh, verse 22, having therefore obtained help from God, help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both the small and great, saying none other things than those which Moses the prophets, which the prophets and Moses did say should come. He said, having obtained help of God, I continue unto this day. So he was a divinely helped man. He obtained help from the Lord. He had been often persecuted, but he was never forsaken. He said he was cast down, but never destroyed. He had experienced the promise of the Lord that said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Uh, that was very real to Paul. Sitting there in the jail in, in Philippi, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Even though he was there in a jail and he seemed to be forsaken, he said, I may look forsaken, but God's with me. The world may have forsaken me, my friends may have forsaken me, culture may have forsaken me, but my God is with me everywhere I go. He got help from the Lord. But oftentimes when we, when we lose that thought and, and forget the fact that the Lord's with us, it can become wearisome being obedient. It can become wearisome, the Christian life, and that's why I believe Paul wrote in Galatians 6, 9, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. But how can we keep from being weary? Well, live in the power of God. And then also recognize that he's with us. Practice the presence of God. Oftentimes we live as if God's not with us. We live, we live as if God doesn't see everything that we do. And that's why sometimes we struggle with sin. Uh, because we don't recognize, man, God just saw me do that. God's with me. And I want to do right. And so we need to practice the presence of God and recognize he's there to help us. And he will help us. That's why our relationship with him is so important. Uh, that's why being in church is so important. We receive the help that we need. Now we need all of it. Uh, don't just come to church and not walk with God. We, we, you need both. But don't just say, well, I'm, I just read my Bible and I'm not ever coming to church again. No, no, you need the fellowship. You need the help, uh, all the help that we can get. I don't know about you, but I need all the help that I can get spiritually. And I'm sure you agree with me on that. Um, I pray that I'd be able to come to the end of my life, like Paul said, I continue unto this day. Um, having therefore received help, I continue to this day. I hope that at the end of my life, on my deathbed, I'll be able to say, because I've received help from God, I continue to this day. I don't want to be the type of person that looks back at my end, end of my life and said, man, I served God until I was fill in the blank in, in the last 30, 40, 20 years, whatever. I wasted it. Uh, I got weary and didn't recognize the help that God was offering. So he was a divinely helped man. Next, verse 23. He was a devoted man. Verse 23. And that Christ should suffer and that he should uh, be first be the first to raise from the dead and should be uh, shown a light 
unto the Gentiles. Uh, and, and so uh, also in verse 22, it said, having obtained um, help from God and witnessing both the small and to the great, so witnessing to everybody what the prophet said, that Christ should be the first to raise, Paul was wholly committed to the cause of Christ. He really meant it when he said, uh, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. When he said, I'm determined to know nothing among men save Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said this, now, now this isn't exactly what he said, but this is what he was saying with that. I don't care what others think of me, except that I live for Christ. Now, sometimes we're worried about how, what, what's my legacy going to be? What, kind of, what amount of money am I going to leave to my kids? What, amount, uh, how, what am I going to be remembered by? Now, I, I hope if, if you, the Lord's blessed you with money and you are able to leave it to your kids, that's a great thing for sure. But I hope that's not the only thing your kids remember you for. hope that's not the only thing that society remembers you for. You donated a million dollars to this uh, hospital because I hope that people remember me for living for Jesus. I hope people remember me for, for loving God and for loving people, and that's what Paul was saying. Uh, Ted Williams was the Red Sox slugger from 1939 to 1960. Uh, 1941, he batted over 400. Now, if you know anything about baseball, that is not an easy thing to do. He was the last person ever to do it, so uh, nearly 80 years ago uh, was the last time any bat, anybody batted over 400. He uh, hit 521 career home runs, had a batting average of 300, uh, 344, on-base percentage of 482. Those of you who know nothing about baseball, you're like, what do those numbers even mean? It meant he was really good. Um, his on-base percentage mean that one out of every two times, nearly, he went to the plate, he was on base, whether by a walk or a hit. He was a great player. Um, and he said this to somebody, all I want out of life is that when I walk down the street, folks will say, there goes the greatest hitter that ever lived. And arguably, he, he did that. At least back then, you, uh, when, when he finished his career, he could have walked down the street and they say, that's the greatest player. And now people would have debated and said, no, it was Joe DiMaggio. Uh, if you're in New York or Boston, they said, no, Joe DiMaggio, no, it's, it's Ted Williams. And I was even looking up their stats in 1941. And I was asking my dad about it, me and him talk about baseball often. Um, I said, who should have won the MVP in, in 1941, Joe DiMaggio or Ted Williams? But in 1941 was when uh, Joe DiMaggio had his 56-game hit streak, uh, even though Ted Williams had a much better season. But anyway, that's beside the point. Uh, the, the, the point was he was a great baseball player, a great hitter, and he said, my life's goal is that I'd walk down the street and people say, there goes the greatest hitter who ever lived. He said, I don't think there's anybody that was more born to play baseball than me. And with that same spirit, that's what Paul said. I want, people to, I want to be able to walk down the street and people say, there's someone to live for God. I want to be able to walk down the street and say, there's someone who loves Jesus. There's someone who cares about people. Not someone who makes a lot of money. Not someone who's smart. Not someone who's successful. But someone who loves God. And I guarantee you, if you love God and love people, you'll be successful. At least have the right kind of success. You may not be the richest person. Uh, you, you, you may not be, in the eyes of the world, the most successful person. But in the eyes of God, hearing him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, that's good enough for me. And I, and, and I hope that is for you. Uh, talk about devotion. He said, all I want out of life is to know God. All I want to know out of life is to know Christ. That's a convicting thought. Because we go after a lot of things. I go after a lot of things. I get my mind and, and my heart focused on other things instead of God at times. And I need to be brought back and say, no, it's God's what's most important. Not things, not money, not um, activities, or not things that we can do, or places I've been. Now, uh, there's places I'd like to do, go, and there's things I'd like to do. But if I don't get to do those things and I just get to live for God, that's a great life to live, for sure. So he was a, uh, he was a devoted man. Next, uh, verse 24. Uh, Festus said to him this, with, uh, with a loud voice. It says, as, as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. He was a misunderstood man. 
Uh, Festus said of him, Paul, you're crazy. Man, this, I've never heard anything like this before. And sometimes people are going to look at us funny when we, when we give them the gospel. Uh, some, what people, the gospel is so different from our culture. Uh, there was a time where the gospel was more aligned with our culture for sure. And I'm sure really none of us in the room probably really remember that too well, um, if, 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 if any of us. Uh, but go back to our, our country's roots. And the gospel is a little more aligned with culture at the time. But, man, the Bible is so opposite of culture. You tell someone what the Bible says, they look at you like, whoa, you're like an alien. And now the Bible says that we are a peculiar people, uh, that we're to be holy as he's holy, and the world is unholy for sure. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish. Uh, it says that the natural man receiveth not the things of God, for they are foolishness unto him. And in John chapter 10, uh, they said of Jesus, he hath the devil. Even of Jesus, they said, he's crazy. Uh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He, he's, 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 been, he, he's just nuts. And sometimes people are going to think that of you, but that's okay. They're going to misunderstand you. They're going to misunderstand the gospel, but don't give up on them. And don't say, you know, well, well forget them. No, God will use the Holy Spirit to convict them, and eventually they, they'll understand. My dad thinks I'm crazy at times. Uh, I, I remember uh, sitting across from him at Leon's Diner in Livonia, Michigan, just across the street from my church uh, there, and he was asking me where I wanted to go to college. And I told him I wanted to go to Bible college. And I can still remember the words he said to me that I won't repeat. Uh, but he thought I was crazy. Uh, and still in some way d- does. He's a little more supportive than he was back then, for sure. Uh, but still thinks I'm crazy. Still thinks what I believe is just nuts. He doesn't understand. And I'm still going to pray for him. I, I, I want to see him saved. That makes me more burdened for him. And so people are going to misunderstand you as a true Christian. Someone who's truly following Christ. What did Jesus say? Je- Jesus said if you're going to be his disciple, you've got a hate father, hate mother, and it goes on the list. Man, that's, in our, that, that's kind of crazy. He said you need to love him so much that people are going to think, do you even love me? And really, because if we truly love Jesus, we can love people more than if we didn't love Jesus. But they're going to think of us, because they don't understand, you don't even love me anymore. But we do, uh, but they're going to think we're crazy. Uh, verse 25, we see he's a courteous man. He's a courteous man. Uh, look what he says. Uh, he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. Uh, Festus, not understanding what he was hearing, ridiculed Paul. And our natural response when someone ridicules us, what, what, what is our response? Let me ridicule them back. Let me give them my, a piece of my mind. Uh, but Paul was courteous to him. Uh, some of us in that situation would, would have said, well, you know what, you heathen? You deserve to go to hell. How about that? And, and, and we'd have been very harsh with him. And, but Paul, no, Paul's courteous. Hey, most noble Festus, I'm, I'm not crazy. I'm speaking to you the truth in soberness. He said, I'm being dead serious. You need to hear this. He was very courteous to him. Uh, he was reviled, if you will, and just like Jesus, reviled not again. Uh, Jesus could have railed back with the best of them, I'm sure. Uh, he could have done some pretty brutal things to them as he was on the cross, but that's not why he, that, that wasn't the purpose he was there. And for Paul, the same reason. His, his purpose was not to argue with Festus. His purpose was not to put Festus in his place. His purpose was to give him the gospel. And for us with the gospel, sometimes people disagree with us, and our purpose is not to put them in their place. Our purpose is to love them. And maybe they don't understand, but we should be courteous and kind to people, and they should see the love of Christ in us uh, when we share the gospel. They shouldn't think that we're crazy because we're foaming at the mouth mad at them. They should think we're crazy because we're telling them something they don't understand. That should be the only reason people think we're crazy, uh, for sure, because they just don't understand us. But many people have been turned off to Christianity over the years because of angry and rude Christians. You know, I, I believe we need red-hot, devil-fighting, sin-hating hate, uh, sin hate, uh, preaching uh, and truth 
but we need to do it in love. We need to love people. When Jesus gave the gospel, uh, the ones, if, if, if you look in the gospels, the ones he was the most harsh with were the Pharisees. And the reason they were is because they thought they were better than everybody else. But to the woman who's caught in adultery, he didn't give her a lecture and tell her how terrible she, he said, go sin no more. I've forgiven you. And he was very kind. Now, he said, go and sin no more. Sometimes people cut that out and just say, well, Jesus was just so kind to him and it was like she did nothing. No, he recognized her sin. He spoke the truth to her, but said, hey, let's, let's not sin anymore. In my power, you, you, you can do that, and he can help us to do that. So he was a courteous man. Uh, two more, and we're done. He was a faithful man. Look at verse 27. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know thou believest. So Festus and Agrippa were there, uh, hearing him, and he kind of turned his attention from Festus to King Agrippa and, and just like kind of said to him, hey, I know you believe the prophets. And so and was, he said, nothing's going to stop me from sharing the gospel. Festus says I'm crazy, but let me turn to Agrippa and maybe he'll get it. Maybe, maybe God's convicting him. Maybe God's working on his heart. It displays not only Paul's boldness uh, the, that he had w- with the power of the Holy Spirit, but also his deep concern he had for lost souls. This one ridiculed me, but maybe this one will, will accept. Uh, I've, I've been there before. I, I remember um, in Detroit, Michigan. I had some friends, uh, real close friends of mine, lived in Detroit, and we'd stay over their house uh, pretty much every single day. My mom was a single mom, worked, uh, worked a lot uh, to take care of us. And so after school, they'd pick us up. We'd stay at their house from after school until 6, 7 o'clock during the summer. She'd drop us off 8 o'clock in the morning. We'd be there until about 6 o'clock in the evening. We're there all the time. But there's a park, Claude Allison Park. We'd take a walk there and play baseball, play hockey, play some different stuff there. But I'd go there and I'd pass out tracks and, and, and witness to people. And I remember one time um, in a group of, with a group of teenagers sharing the gospel with some of them. And I remember several of them making fun of me, several of them um, saying a lot of things about what I was saying. But one boy that was there, his name was Jesse, and I was witnessing to him. He was listening. And eventually, in spite of his friends, I could have said, you know what, well, f- forget all of you, but Jesse was listening. So I turned my attention to him, shared the gospel with him, and he got saved. And I, was a, uh, I brought him to church uh, several times after that, tried to work on discipling him uh, a little bit, kind of fell by the wayside. I, 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 did he get saved? I'm not sure. Maybe it was like one of, uh, one of the seeds that fell by the, the thorny stones and it, it, it went in and, but got gobbled up by the world. I'm not sure. Uh, but, but I just remember people mocking me, people making fun of me, like Festus here. And I turned my attention to whoever would listen. That was the faithfulness Paul had. Uh, even when everybody, I, I'm, I'm sure when he said, Paul, thou art mad, I'm sure the, the, the place went, went nuts laughing. And said, yeah, we're, yeah, he's mad, he's crazy. And he said, I'm not mad. What about you, King Agrippa? You believe God's word. You believe the prophets. I know you do. And then in verse 28, one of the saddest words in, in the Bible, one of the saddest phrases, uh, Agrippa says to him, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Now I'm not sure what kept, what kept Agrippa back. Maybe it was because Festus was right there and just said he was crazy, and he's thinking maybe I should do this, but I don't want Festus thinking I'm crazy, a political thing or whatever. But he said, you're almost persuaded me, Paul. Um, and verse 29, and we'll be done. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. Here's the last thought. He was a satisfied man. He was in bondage. He, he had been in jail. He had been imprisoned. He had been beaten. But he said, man, I wish you guys were like me. I am the happiest. I am the richest uh, man in this courtroom. I am, I, there is nobody that has more satisfaction than me in life. 
Why? Because Paul was not basing his satisfaction in the circumstances. It was in Christ. Uh, he said, I have learned whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. So he said, if I'm in jail, I'm going to be content because, I have, because before he, was, he had divine help. Having received help from the Lord, I continue this day. And so because God was with him, because he was, know he was doing what's right, there's no greater joy in knowing that you're doing right. Uh, you, things may not be turning out right, but when you know I'm right, I'm doing what's right, not out of pride and I'm better than anybody, but I know that I'm doing what God's word says, even if things may not turn out well, you can stand on that fact, I'm doing what God said. I, I, I may not like the, the outcome, I may not like the circumstance that I'm in, but I can have satisfaction knowing uh, that I'm doing what God said. Focusing on eternity will help us to realize that regardless of what we have here on earth or what situation we're in, uh, that we can have true joy that the world cannot have. No matter what, how much money, no matter how much things, trophies, or whatever they possess, the world cannot have the joy that we have. Why? Because they don't have Christ. And that's why, going back to tying it all together, that's why we've got to testify. That's why we need to stand before people and say, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says you're a sinner, but Jesus loves you and, and, and died for you so you could have eternal life. We've got to share it with people because they're lacking something that we have, joy, satisfaction, uh, uh, real hope. And the only place they can find that's in Jesus. Like Paul, we ought to look at our life in Christ and be satisfied. It ought to cause us to look at the world and be burdened with this thought, I wish they were like me, saved redeemed, forgiven, part of God's family. Now, we are not better than the world or better than the lost, but we are better off than them, and that's for sure. And not because of us, but because of the grace of God. Now, my question for you is, one, do you have a testimony? Could you testify of what God's done in your life? Has God done anything in your life? Uh, is, is there a time you know you trusted Jesus as your Savior? It's not just something, I, you're not born a Christian. Um, I love my daughters, and one thing that just blows my mind, uh, just to talk to my mom about it, my mom got saved after she was 40 years old. I got saved when I was 8 years old. So I, I was off to a much better start than my mom was. And Annabelle, just, just use her as an example, because she's able, she knows a little more than Olivia does right now. Um, but Annabelle, basically born in the nursery here, um, she knows way more about the Bible than I do, than I did when I was 8 years old. She knows way more about the Bible than my mom did when she was 40 years old. That's the power of the gospel. Started in my mom's life, worked into my life, and now uh, my daughter's able to, re- but I, under- I-, I need her to understand, she wasn't born a Christian. She was born a sinner just like the rest of us, and she needs Jesus, but I'm thankful for the foundation that I've been able to give to her um, since, since the day she was born. I remember the day after she was born, uh, I took my iPhone, and I played some, um, uh, some Bible there for her. So she heard the Bible a day old. It was eight years before I really heard anything about 40 years before my mom heard anything. So I'm thankful for the start she's got. But nobody's born a Christian. Nobody just, I just woke up one day and I was, I was a Christian. No, there has to be a time you meet Jesus on the road to Damascus like Paul did. And, and Jesus says to you, hey, from his word, you're wrong. You're a sinner. You need me as your savior. And Paul remembered when it was. Now, Paul doesn't give a date. Some, I'm sure some of you in here could, could give a date when you're saved. I gave the date when I was saved. Um, I wish... I remember more of the details of the day I got saved than the date. But I'm thankful I know the date, I know the place. I, I remember having a desire to be saved. I don't remember exactly what I said. And if you actually look through the Bible, Paul doesn't really remember exactly what he said. Because if you look at his testimony, they actually, they're, they're a little different each time. Um, because the experience didn't change. I, I don't remember everything I said on my wedding day. But I know I got married. Uh, why? My wife lives with me. Um, and we have pictures of it. So that helps too. Um, 
if that was the only reason I was going off, oh, I got a picture so I know I'm married. That would be pretty bad. But I, I remember getting married. I don't remember everything that happened that day. Um, I, I, I don't remember everything I said, but I know I'm married. I don't remember everything I said the day I got saved, but his spirit bears witness with my spirit that I'm his. And, and, and the Holy Spirit lives inside of me, and I remember getting saved. And I've got a testimony. I want to share it with the world. Do you have a testimony? And if you aren't sharing it, why aren't you sharing it? Your testimony, I'd say aside from the word of God, is the most powerful thing that you can share. People can argue the word of God with you, but they really can't argue. To, no, you didn't really experience that. No, that didn't really, they, they can't say that. Um, they could say, well, the Bible, they, 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 they could claim that the Bible's not real, they, but they can't, they can't um, dispute your experience. Uh, and obviously, I know we can make something up, and there's witnesses who witness in criminal cases who made things up, but if you're sincere, man, your, your, your testimony is a powerful thing. Use it for the Lord. Uh, don't be ashamed. Put your hand in the Bible. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. Because listen, the souls of so many people are depending upon it. Uh, there are people, those people standing in, in those criminal cases, there's possibly, th- their testimony hinges a criminal either going to jail or going free. It's an important thing. For us, it's even bigger. It could hinge on somebody spending eternity in hell or spending eternity in heaven. So it's a big thing. Be a witness. Be a testimony. Do you have a testimony? These are some things, your life ought to be described in this way, a changed life. You ought to be empowered. You ought to be obedient. You ought to be uh, helped by God, devoted, faithful, uh, times even misunderstood, but courteous uh, and satisfied in Christ. Being a witness for him is not necessarily the most rewarding financially thing for sure, but it is the most rewarding thing that, that we can do in life, sharing the gospel with people. If you ever led somebody to the Lord, man, it is an awesome feeling. Knowing because of me being obedient to Jesus, this person woke up this morning heading to hell, but now they're going to heaven because I said something. Now, we didn't save them, and, and I'm sure you've heard that before. Oh, so-and-so saved me. And there was a story told of D.L. Moody. Uh, someone came up to him, a drunk came up to him and said, oh, you saved me. And he said, I must have saved you because it doesn't look like God saved you. Um, but it, obviously we understand it's God that saves people, but he uses us to share the gospel. Let the Lord use you. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.